Good morning, everyone. Wow, real people. Crazy. Uh, you guys would look very intimidating, too, though, uh, with the masks on. But <laughs> glad to see everyone. Let us, um, let's get started. Let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Uh, our loving and merciful Father, we give you all the praise and honor for what you are doing in our midst. Help us this morning to fix our minds, embrace in our hearts, and respond in allegiance to you. Um, Lord, open our eyes to see and ears to hear. Uh, in Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Uh, let's remember what we've been covering in these final three weeks of our study on generosity. Uh, previously, we examined uh, the corruption of the image of God. We saw... Is it, is it really loud? It seems pretty loud. I can like hear myself echo out in the distance. Better? Better? Okay. Yeah, previously we examined the corruption of the image of God. We saw that it all started with the serpent's blatant attack on the various components of the image of God and humankind. Uh, he defaced the mind, the heart, and the rule of man as he challenged God's truth, his love, and his kingship. And Adam's and Eve's caving in to the deceit of the serpent resulted in the corruption of the image of God. Uh, so last week, we began to look at the solution for this corruption. Uh, we said that the solution can be aptly summarized in one word. Anybody remember that word? Anybody? Gospel, right? One word, the solution to our corruption can be summarized in one word, gospel. Uh, can anyone briefly describe for us what the gospel is and tell us why it's so significant as we continue to look at the restoration and renewal of the image of God? So what is the gospel? Yeah, what, what's, what's good news about Jesus Christ? His life? Yeah, nice. Why is that so important as we uh, continue to, uh, to look at the restoration and renewal of the image of God? All right, we'll, we'll answer that in a bit then. Uh, let me rehearse for us the elements, the major elements of Jesus' gospel story. Uh, and, I, and I pointed out eight things for us to consider last time. Uh, one, this good news started uh, with Jesus pre-existing with the Father. Right? Two, Jesus took on human flesh, fulfilling God's promises made to David. Three, Jesus died for sins in accordance with the scriptures. Four, he was buried. Five, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Uh, six, he appeared to many people after that resurrection. Uh, seven, he is now seated at the right hand of God as Lord. And eight, 
he will come again as our Lord and, and judge, right? Those are the, the, that's the basic outline of the gospel story, right? Uh, the gospel is the means by which we receive all of God's generosity. That's why it's so important for us. Uh, because in the gospel story, God gives us himself in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the fountainhead of all of God's generosity. Uh, we can say that God himself came to deliver his most precious gift to us in the person of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Um, and so, apart from Jesus' coming, we do not possess in any true sense any of God's generosity. Right? Uh, that's how important the gospel is. That's why we need to constantly reflect on it and chew on it and, and meditate on it. Uh, and, and through that gospel, God is reshaping us into His image. God is const, uh, continually reversing the curse that happened in the garden. Uh, in other words, God, through the gospel of Christ, is in the business of undoing what went wrong. Uh, in the gospel, we are being renewed to look more and more like Jesus. Uh, last time, we focused on the restoration of the mind. Uh, this morning, we are focusing on God's restoration of the heart. Uh, we are asking, what has the Lord done to undo the corruption that took place in the garden? How is God recentering the human heart to love in light of being generously loved by Him? Uh, or, or in John's vocabulary, how do we love because He first loved us? Right? Uh, and again, we've been focusing on one aspect of the image of God at a time, uh, but we don't completely divorce uh, one aspect from the rest of the other ones. We don't divorce the heart from the mind and the will. Uh, we are simply making a distinction for clarity's sake, uh, but we don't divorce them. Um, they all go together. They are mutually informing. As one is affected... So are all the others. Uh, this morning, our big idea is simply this. Uh, Jesus Christ, as the true priest of God, is restoring in human beings the abundant love of God. All right, I'll say that one more time. Uh, Jesus Christ, as the true priest of God, is, is restoring in human beings the abundant love of God. Uh, we've noted in previous lessons that since the fall of Adam and Eve, there has been this inward enclosure of the human heart. Uh, remember the temptation that the woman and the man faced in the garden. The serpent cunningly charged our generous God. He said, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Uh, in other words, He's saying, God is not loving. He's withholding something good from you. He can't be, tr he can't be trusted. He is stingy. Uh, let me tell you, that's the same lie about God that keeps popping up in every one of our hearts every day. That God is stingy. 
that God doesn't really love us. So it's an old lie, but it's ever new. It's ever new. It's an old age charge that continues to confront us to this day. Uh, of course, we know that Eve and Adam believed the serpent's charge against God, and they responded by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, from then on, the human heart has been, according to the book of Jeremiah, deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Uh, it is indeed difficult to understand the human heart. But one thing is clear. Human love is, is self-enclosed. It is so corrupt that the God of love himself had to come down and do something about it. Uh, that he might liberate us from self-love. Um, but what did he do? Well, we've, um, we've seen that the gospel has restored us and are being renewed in the image of Christ, the perfect and true image of God. Uh, but specifically, God came as our true priest to inaugurate that restoration and renewal of the heart. Um, we throw around that word a lot, priest, right? What is that? What, what's a priest? Anybody? What's a priest? Yeah, that's good. That's good. A mediator? Good. Good. Yeah, uh, the priests were very important in the life of Israel, right? Why? Because they were primarily responsible for protecting the name of the Lord. Uh, they were to maintain the honor of the name of the Lord in the midst of Israel. Uh, they were charged uh, to keep the holy name pure before all the people. Uh, that's why they were the guardians of the temple. That's a pretty cool title, right? The guardians of the temple. I, somebody should make a movie out of that. Anyways, uh, because the temple was where the Lord's name dwelt, right? And so it was their job to protect it. Uh, it's, in this way, we see the correspondence with Adam, uh, because Adam, too, was charged to keep and guard the resident garden of God's holy name. That's where God's name resided. He was, Adam was to keep it holy. He was to protect the name of the Lord by keeping unholy things out, uh, especially that ancient serpent who intruded in God's sacred space. Right? He, Adam was supposed to protect the garden from that intruder. Uh, part of the way the priests were keepers of the temples, uh, the temple and guardians of God's name, was uh, was as Michelle said, was that they were mediators. They were the primary mediators between God and man um, by offering sacrifices. That's how they mediated uh, before God and man. Uh, what's sacrifice all about? Anybody? What's sacrifice all about? Will? Putting the goods of others before that of yourselves. Good? Well, think, of, think of the priests in Israel. Like, what was the sacrifice that they were giving all about? 
Atonement. Atonement. Good. Atonement. Um, sacrifice was all about providing a way for defiled and impure sinners to enter into the presence of God. Right? Uh, without being consumed by God's holiness and defiling the purity of God's name. Uh, that's what we call atonement. That's what atonement is all about. Uh, that's what Jesus, the true priest of God, came to do for us. He made atonement. He came to take away our sin, our defilement, that God's name might be kept holy. Right? Uh, what's, what does John the baptizer say as soon as he, as he recognizes Jesus? He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, remember last time we said that Jesus Christ came as both the messenger and the message. He was both the truth announcer and the truth. Uh, Jesus was, was the embodied truth uh, who came to restore the mind of humankind. And so in the same way, Jesus came as both our, our high priest and the sacrifice. Uh, in other words, Jesus is not simply another priest to offer a limited sacrifice. Uh, because the sacrifices in the temple were limited in the sense that they were insufficient to make perfect atonement. Uh, the priest needed to continually make sacrifice for Israel. I think we all know that, right? Every year they would, they would come over and over to the temple. Uh, you know what's interesting uh, sacrifice wasn't only for Israel. The rabbis of Israel also included the Gentiles. They said, sacrifices are to be accepted from Gentiles as they are from the Jews. Right? So already, sacrificial atonement includes the nations out there, Gentiles, uh, though in a very limited way. Uh, but they did receive, when they came under the priestly service of Israel, the God of Israel. Okay, all of it, all of this atonement, sacrificial uh, stuff was all pre prefiguring Christ, the true priest and the true sacrifice. Uh, as the writer to the Hebrews tells us, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for First, for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did, he did this once for all when he offered up himself, as Hebrews 7.27. Uh, in other words, Christ was all along bearing witness of himself through the sacrifices of Israel. Does that make sense? That's why the sacrifices of Israel were efficacious. Because Christ, the substance, was working in and through those sacrifices. But now Jesus has come. Now those, those sacrifices connected to that reality, the reality has come. Uh, think about it. Uh, can the blood of animals intrinsically remove our sin? No, right? No. A lamb, a, a, like a little lamb cannot atone ultimately for our sin. 
but they, but they did so in Israel as far insofar as they participated in the reality of Christ's blood. Uh, later in Hebrews, the writer says, "He, Jesus Christ, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption." Hebrews 9:12. Uh, the sacrificial system has been perfected and fully realized because the true and saving blood of Jesus Christ has been shed for us, the true atonement of God. Uh, so the writer to the Hebrews continues, uh, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What was the result of Christ's high priestly work? Uh, yes, uh, we have complete and perfect atonement. Our sins are covered in the blood of the true Lamb of God. Uh, but something more happens. Uh, according to the writer to the Hebrews, again, Christ, Christ's work makes us bold to enter into the, into the presence of our Lord. So it's not simply that our sins are washed away and cleansed, but we get to enter into God's presence with boldness as a result of His sacrifice for us. That's an amazing thing if you think about it. Once a year, only once a year, did the high priest go into the most holy temple, uh, holy parts of the temple. And now we, covered under the blood of Christ, get to go into that presence every day. Uh, listen to what the writer uh, to the Hebrews goes on to say. Um, in fact, let's turn there. Uh, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I'll be reading verses 19 through 25. Okay, uh, beginning verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Uh, here's what stands out to me in this passage. Uh, it's that Jesus' priestly work allows us to enter the holy places. Uh, what does the writer say we draw near with? We draw near with a, a true heart. 
right? Because he says our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, uh, which came with Jesus' perfect blood atonement made once and for all. Uh, Let me put that into the language that we've been using. Uh, Christ as our high priest has overturned our evil and ungenerous hearts. He has cleansed our hearts from the self-enclosure that has kept us from truly loving Him and one another. Sorry, the wind. And so in this way, um, He came, Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Uh, The Father has a generous heart for us, doesn't He? Uh, So He sends His Son to make atonement. Uh, In the Gospel of John, Jesus Himself famously says, and we all know this verse, For God so loved the world, He loved the world, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in, in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, Jesus came as as our sacrifice that we might share in the heart of God. That our hearts might be cleansed and purified and share in the heart of God. That we we too might be willing to give up what is most precious to us for the sake of other people. Uh, That's the abundant love of God given for our sakes that we too might love in abundance. Uh, I want I want to pause there and see if you guys have any questions. Any questions, comments, rebuttals, suggestions? We're good. Nothing. Okay, so, so far we've looked at Christ's restoration and renewal of the heart because He became for us our high priest and perfect sacrifice. Uh, that He offered Himself once and for all um, that our hearts might never be the same again. Uh, now we, we want to ask, what does it look like to love in light of Christ's sacrifice? What does it look like to love in abundance? Uh, let's go back to Hebrews 10 again. Let's look at verse, verses 24 and 25. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, Praise the Lord, we get to meet together uh, today, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, notice what the writer calls us to do in light of our hearts being cleansed and purified. He doesn't say, now go back to the way you once live. Now it doesn't matter how you be- behave with other people. Right? He doesn't say that. He says, uh, he says to consider, to Think deeply of how you might stir up one another to love. To love. Because that's consistent with a true heart, a purified heart, isn't it? Uh, But how do we do that? Well, we don't do it alone. We don't do it alone. 
We never love in isolation. We love, love, true love happens in community. We love in the context of being around one another. Uh, and not only do we come together to worship, right? We come together to stir up one another in love. That's part of the reason why we gather together. Uh, if I could put it differently, uh, we are to gather together to reflect an abundant kind of love to each other for mutual encouragement. Uh, beloved, uh, we have to cultivate a heart of sacrifice uh, that we might reflect God's generous love in Christ. Uh, let me tie this in into one of the offices of our church, right? Uh, our deacons. What's a, what's a deacon? Go ahead and unmute everybody. What's a deacon? I don't want to ask Steve. Yeah, that's good. One who serves the interests of the people within the church. That's good. Anybody? Anybody else? It's the... Uh, is it the glorified custodian? That's good. That's good. Okay. Uh, deacons, again, are not are not glorified custodians. They're not here just to clean up, just to clean pews and, and bathrooms or take care of the building maintenance. That's, that's not their jobs, right? That's not their primary jobs. That's that's all of our jobs actually. But but that's not that's not what deacons are all about. Um, cultivating love is the primary duty of our deacons. Uh, deacons are called specifically by our, by our Lord to promote and cultivate a heart of abundance in the people of God. Uh, we encounter this uh, when deacons were first established in the church. Uh, in Acts uh, chapter 6, the apostles were busy with preaching and teaching the word of God. Uh, but what happened there? in the early church. Well, apparently the Hellenist widows were being neglected. Uh, they weren't getting their portion of food to eat. So what happened? The Hellenists began to complain to the apostles. But that would have kept the apostles from doing their jobs, from preaching and teaching. So here's what they said to the congregation, the apostles. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Uh, notice, notice the apostles, they don't spurn the widows. They think it's actually an important thing to, to attend to the needs of the needy. To, to those who are in need. But they, as, an, as apostles, had a different role. Uh, they were called to preach and spread the teachings of the Lord Jesus. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the care of the physical needs of the people was so important that certain qualified men were, de were designated to serve. 
Why? Why was it so important that Hellenist widows would get something to eat? Why was it so important? Well, because serving is an act of sacrifice. Uh, Paul says uh, in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or service. I mean, do you see that connection? Embodied service to one another is sacrifice to God. In this way, our deacons mirror the priests in Israel. And we do the same when we follow in their footsteps. We act as priests of the Lord, guarding the temple. We become guardians of the temple. Uh, this is why we're told after the deacons were chosen, uh, Acts 6 verse 7, And the word of, the, of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I mean, no wonder if sacrifice is, is connected to service and deacons are connected to that, that the priests of Israel would come and follow Jesus and see in that ministry their own ministry. I mean, isn't that amazing? You, you, if you were a priest of Israel and all of a sudden you see a Gentile doing the same thing that you're doing, protecting the name of the Lord by, by serving as you serve. I think that's a great witness. It's a great wit witness to them. Okay, but what happens when things get hard, when it's hard to serve, right? What does it look like to love when it seems like there's absolutely no reason to love? When things seem scarce. I think we've all been in a position where God calls us to love, uh, to love the very ones who are bringing us pain. I don't know what <clears throat> you've experienced so far. Uh, maybe you felt derided from simply identifying as a Christian. Our society tends to mock Christians nowadays. It's very common. We're constantly... Um, you know, the brunt of the jokes of, of society because we follow a crucified Lord. Uh, maybe you've been marginalized because you look different from everyone else. Maybe it's because, you know, you, you dress differently, your culture looks different than everybody else, maybe your skin is a different color, maybe... Maybe you felt silence because others want you to think like them. Maybe, maybe they want you, they're pushing you to, to take a political stance as they do. Or maybe, even more painfully, you've been abused by those you've never imagined would lay a hand on you. Maybe that's some of your experiences. At those moments... It is easy to give into the scarcity road of hate and bitterness. It's too easy to allow ourselves to respond with revulsion and hostility. Why? Uh, because we feel the temptation to exact vengeance. 
We long for justice and equity. We long for love. But when we respond with hostility and revulsion, such a response is incompatible with having a new heart, a heart being renewed after the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, After the commissioning of the first deacons in Acts 6, Uh, we get a wonderful picture of what a sacrificial, generous heart looks like. Uh, It's the story of Stephen, uh, who was, we're told, a man full of the Holy Spirit. And he became a deacon in the early formation of the church. Uh, Right after he was installed as a deacon, he became bold in proclaiming the truth to the people. Uh, go, go ahead and read his speech if you have some time uh, today. It's in chapter 8. It's a, it's a wonderful, beautiful speech about the faithfulness and love of God uh, throughout history. Uh, but Stephen's speech wasn't received well, was it? Uh, people hated it. Uh, in fact, the people hated uh, Stephen and his message so much that they took stones and threw him Uh, threw those stones at him until he died. That's how much people hated his message. But it was a a message of love. People hated this message of love. People hated the messenger of love. But let me ask you, if you were Stephen, how would you react to people throwing stones at you? When you're telling them about the goodness and love of God, they're throwing stones at you. How would you react? Anybody? It would be very difficult to respond the way Stephen responds. Um, responds. Uh, let me tell you, it's not in us to love at a moment like that, when, th- when stones are being thrown at you. I mean, I don't know about you. I might throw stones right back at them. Uh, but Stephen's heart was a heart being renewed in the generous image of God. Uh, that he put others above himself, even in the face of ultimate scarcity. Uh, Look how powerful this deacon's love was, even as he was being hit with stones of brutality. Uh, Luke records for us in Acts 7, at the end of the chapter, And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And he had said this, and when he had said this, he fell asleep. Uh, You see, Stephen was a man deeply convinced that that God generously loved him, despite having rocks thrown at his head. Uh, But I want you to notice, Stephen doesn't just bear and grin it. No, he actually prays for the very ones who are throwing stones at him. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Who does that sound like? 
Jesus. It sounds like our Lord Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus said the same thing while He was being crucified by the very people He came to save. As He was being nailed to that cursed tree, He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, beloved, that is the generous love of God. It speaks forth forgiveness in the midst of death. Saints, that was our hatred that put Him there. And He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So the question is, how do we respond to a love like that? To be honest, uh, I see a lot of us aren't willing to even listen to one another. How do we love in light of the cross, let alone sacrifice for one another? Right? We, we need to constantly take ourselves back to that cross where our high priest was nailed for our sins. Can we not overlook little sins of other people against us? Alright, I'll stop there. Um, any, any questions, comments? No? Let's, let's go ahead and close in prayer then. Our Father, uh, we give you all the praise for revealing to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. That in the gospel, we have been restored and are being renewed more and more to live a life of generously loving others uh, because you have first generously loved us. Be with us now as we prepare our hearts for worship. May, may you once again stoop low to us and meet us where we are. Expand our hearts that we might give ourselves in sacrificial service and love to one another. Uh, may we love generously and extravagantly like Jesus loved us. In His loving name we pray. Amen.